You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. We've been in the gospel account of Matthew, and this is the very first book of the New Testament. And um, what I find particularly captivating about Matthew's gospel and an aspect that I, I deeply appreciate is his, just his meticulous compilation of Jesus' teachings. You will notice that when you read the gospel accounts, um, that he holds a particular interest in the, the messages that were delivered by Jesus. The, 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 gospel, the different gospel accounts focus on different things. And, and Matthew has what scholars call the five major discourses. And these were significant teachings of Jesus throughout his time here on earth. And these, these words uh, and these teachings of Jesus, they provide such a rich source of, of guidance, even in a season like this, you know, and, and insight, uh, especially for us uh, Christians, um, you know, us believers, you know, uh, it gives us insight even in how we need to practice and how we need to live our lives. Uh, the, the gospel account of Matthew has actually been known as the manual, manual for discipleship. Uh, if, you, if you're ever wondering, you know, what book of the Bible should I read even as uh, I've probably just started this journey of, of faith, you know, Matthew is a great book because there are these five discourses of Jesus uh, spread throughout the 28 chapters that you can be able to find or that just reminds you of who you need to be uh, and the kind of life that you need to live here on earth. Uh, and and the, the passage that we've been anchored on is Matthew 28, um, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, uh, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to be with us. And I really want to, I'm highlighting that, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you because really that's your focus. The teachings of Jesus serve as a wellspring of wisdom. When he talks about teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, you know, there's, there's such a, a, there's wisdom and, and guidance for we, for the church across generations. And it enables us even to fulfill this very command that he gave us. Uh, they, when, you, when you read through scriptures, there's just an enduring relevance, you know, and, and significance of the teachings and, and just the life of, of the church, you know, uh, uh, or even the li life of Jesus. It's not, it's not merely an educational exercise. It's not just passing on information. When you read through the scriptures, there is transformation that is happening because we get molded and conformed to those teachings. And, and this is what we, when we say, when we talk about discipleship, this is what we are referring to. When you read through the scriptures and, and it transforms your life, when you are ex exercising the different practices and you're in different spaces that continue to mold you, that's what discipleship is about. Where we are not just learning about Christ and consuming information and knowledge, uh, but that those lessons uh, are transforming the way we love others. They are transforming the way we think about one another. They are transforming our actions towards one another and even how we live in this life. The truth is that you cannot encounter Christ 
remain in him, follow all his commands, and then your life continues to be the same. There's, there's so much power in your encounter with Christ. There's so much power that flows through that that you cannot remain the same. And Jesus makes it very clear that all his disciples are to obey, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you in that verse. And it was the responsibility of the disciples to teach the new believers to obey everything that Jesus had commanded to them. The standard practice of every disciple of Jesus is obedience to all his teachings. Like the bare minimum, the, 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 the standard practice, obedience to all his teachings. So the question that I have for us is, uh, those of us who are following Jesus, those of us who consider ourselves to be believers, do you obey? Are you living in obedience to Jesus' teachings? Are you living in obedience right now? And, and my hope is that this will provoke an introspection in your life that will lead to repentance. Because none of us is perfect, you know. And the realization is that we need to live a life. We have a higher calling as his disciples. He's calling us to live differently. None of us is perfect. The, the biggest problem is when we get too comfortable with our lives that, and we focus only on ourselves and we are not seeking the transformation that comes from Jesus himself. Obedience to Jesus' commands is what sets his disciples apart. Amen. That's what makes them different. Believers from non-believers. Yeah. Often we will talk about nominal Christians. You know, we've had this conversation in different forums. And, and, and these are people who probably regularly attend church. Uh, uh, they they uh, have some beliefs about God. Not all beliefs, but they have some beliefs about God, and then and they identify as Christians. You know, we like using that term a lot. Uh, unfortunately, this group uh, constitutes a significant percentage with estimates suggest that nearly half of those attending churches, especially here in the U.S., fall into this category of nominal Christians. So you attend church regularly, you hold some beliefs about God, some beliefs about uh, uh, his, his teachings, but not entirely. However, there's a challenge with this categorization or way of thinking, even for ourselves when we think about this, because this might suggest to us that nominal Christians are a subcategory of believers. Track with me here. In other words, that there are those who are truly committed, you know, like there are those believers who are truly committed, and then there are those who are average, you know, who, who and, and then within those, you also have certain like different subcategories. But, but as I continue to lean into God's word and learn from his word, it is very clear to me that there are essentially just two groups, believers and non-believers. And, and different studies have revealed that those classified as nominal Christians, those who just attend church on a regular basis, uh, they, they, don't, they don't follow everything, they don't believe everything, uh, uh, nominal uh, Christians are, are more likely to exhibit behaviors characteristic of non-believers than to reflect the conduct of true believers in most situations. So oftentimes you'll find that believers will be judged based on what nominal Christians will do and not necessarily what believers will do because nominal Christians put in different situations, they will behave as non-believers. A disciple or believer is one who is fully surrendered to Jesus. And ideally, this should be the definition of a Christian. Unfortunately, right now, the definition of a Christian has been diluted. But this should be the definition of a disciple. 
Because now we end up adding other terms before the term, the word disciple, so that we can qualify the different categories. But we all know that, that being a Christian is, is not this. It's not fully surrendered to God. We, we identify it by name or by the fact that you are affiliated to a church. And this is something that we need to unlearn because it is our way of sort of like we are having our cake and eating it. Where we want to be identified as followers of Jesus, but we do not want to surrender it all. We're like, God, let me just give you this part of my life, but, but everything else, I still remain the same. We don't want to surrender to, to God. We, we love the Lord, but we like sin. Or is it the other way around? It's even hard to say it. When, when Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, there's a clear distinction that his followers are to have. And this sets them apart. Being his disciple implies more than just going to church. More than just the practices of discipleship. More than just serving every Sunday. More than just giving. More than just your witness in public. It's all these things and more. It is a life that is fully surrendered to Christ. It is a calling to a higher standard, a kingdom standard. Take, for example, the very first discourse. Let me take us to the very first teachings of Jesus in the gospel account of Matthew, which is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know we have great communicators, especially in our modern day, but if there is a, an amazing sermon, this is the best sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to, uh, to chapter 7. Jesus gives a very powerful statement of the reality and the availability of the kingdom life for his followers, which includes this practical instruction on how to carry out that kingdom life. And this is one of the most famous and comprehensive teachings of Jesus. And I urge you, go and open Matthew 5 to 7 and read through it because it includes the Beatitudes which describe the characteristics of those who choose to respond to the arrival of the kingdom of God here on earth. And two years ago, we spent many weeks, you know, uh, just going through each of these beatitudes. So if you can check out the Sermon on the Mount in our, on our YouTube page and go through this because it sort of expounds. We spend a ton of time there. And as I said, his teachings are ex extensive, you know, uh, three chapters. So let me just give you like one or two examples if time allows uh, today. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. You know, many of us know this uh, passage. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, in the ancient Middle East culture, salt was used for several things. And this is things that are probably familiar to many of us. In using salt as a metaphor, it, it gives us different ideas. And I want you to pay attention to this because uh, it gives us ideas of what Jesus could have meant. Uh, uh, because salt was very important uh, and with many important uses. So, so we are not limited to one idea. So even the idea that I'm pre presenting here, we are not just limited to that because this was a profound uh, thing that was used even uh, that time. The, the most popular use was as a preservative. You know, uh, salt was used as a preservative. And this is still being used by certain cultures to date. Uh, they are still using it as a preservative. Back then, they didn't have refrigeration like we do now. They didn't have GE fridges, LG and, and, and Maytag. They didn't have those ones. You know, and, and, and if you come from certain places in the DMV area, that I will not mention, probably you're wondering what is GE and LG, because you use sub-zero and monogram. 
Now, if you don't know what sub-zero and monogram is, stick to your lane. Don't even Google because you have no business finding out what that is, and it's not a mathematical equation, okay? By the way, those are fridges. So back then, they would rub salt all over the meat or fish uh, so that some of you are, don't Google, wait. <laughs> don't look for it now. Go and look at it at home, what a sub-zero and monogram is. So they would rub salt all over the meat or fish so that it, it would last. And, and as salt came into contact with the food, it will kill all the bacteria or germs that could cause uh, the meat to spoil and rot. So it allows it to stay fresh for longer uh, until they were able to cook. Uh, it, it slowed down the process of decaying. Amen, now, if you leave meat out for about three to five hours, uh, we know this, microorganisms begin to grow. And every other minute, you know, uh, they, they begin to multiply. Now, if you leave meat out for like two or three days, you're beginning to deal with a stench, right? If you leave it out for like two weeks or three weeks, now it's a, it's a hazmat issue. Uh, it, it's a hazardous issue, you know. Um, ever, ever since sin entered the world, the world has been prone to decay. The world has been prone to degradation and falling apart. And this is in all aspects of our lives, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual. And there is an increase in the challenges and the problems that we are facing also as a society. Look around us, and I'm not even saying this to dishearten us, but it's a reality that we confront every day. Things in our world are decaying and they are falling apart. And it requires substantial effort to prevent this decline. Let's begin with our bodies. Can we talk about our bodies for a minute? Especially as we age, they natural just, naturally just undergo this wear and tear. Maintaining our bodies requires a lot of work. Can we agree? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Significant amount of work. And, and this entails activities like exercise. In fact, some of us have turned our homes if we can afford to makeshift gyms. You know, uh, those of us who have space and you have the money to buy equipment, you turn our homes into that. You know, uh, we have dietary considerations. I mean, the dietary the plans that are out there are, are many. In fact, now I hear this person say that this one is good for you, this one is bad for you. And I'm like, the same thing is bad for you. I'm like, what should I do? Let me just eat what I've been eating. At least it has allowed me to be alive until now. We do, we do annual medical checkups. Uh, uh, and yet, despite our efforts, we still undergo deterioration. I mean, how else do you explain those random injuries that have become the norm? You sleep and then when you wake up, you cannot move certain parts of your body. And then when people ask you, how did you get hurt? You're like, I was sleeping. <laughs> this, this is a funny one. One of my friends, uh, he's in his late 40s, told me he cannot yawn and turn his neck at the same time. <laughs> Seriously, some of you are laughing. Some of us, you cannot yawn and turn your neck at the same uh, time. Things that used to be normal are not normal anymore. Some of us, we sit in service, and when the pastor says stand, you begin to hear noises that you've never heard before. <laughs> Our bodies are falling apart. And for some of you, it's not that simple. Amen. I, and I know, I, I don't even make, any, my desire is not to make this facetious, but the thing is, maybe you have a terminal diagnosis. And, 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 and deep, excruciating, physical, and just emotional pain. And it seems hopeless. Physically, we are decaying. When we consider our relationship, it's 
it's evident there's a decline. Many of us don't even know anymore what it means to be in a healthy relationship. Because we, we've been surrounded with so much toxicity. Yeah. Marriages are breaking down. Yeah. Family ties and friendships that used to be ro- uh, strong ones, you know, are now strained. Yeah. Work relationships are fraying. And a sense of natural joy yeah. is becoming more rare every day. Yeah. We don't even know what it means to be joy. And we are more susceptible to depression and anxiety in our lives. And, and, and this trend is not even just confined to our personal lives. It extends to our broader society. Our society appears to be fragmenting. We still continue to be divided along racial lines. Some of us who are coming from different parts of the world, we are still divided along tribal lines. When we see, when you look at even the national, uh, here at the nation's capital, the, the, the crime rate has surged in the last uh, few years. We continue to see, you know, families weakening. The family structure is weakening. Homelessness continues to be on the rise. And even on the global front, it breaks my heart when I switch on the news and I see what's happening in the Middle East. It breaks my heart when I see what's happening even in, 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 in Ukraine and, and, and Russia. And all that is going on in the world, it breaks your heart. There's, there's degradation, you know. There's just, we are, we are spiraling further into chaos. There's decay. And Jesus knew very well the kind of world that he was sending his disciples to. And this is a word for them, but it's also a word for us because Jesus imparts a message to his disciples that remains relevant to all of us. We are called to be salt in a world that is plagued with decay. We are to be the preservers of what is good and the healers of the wounds, working to slow down uh, and ultimately halt the decaying process in, in our relationships, in our, in, our va- in our values, in our politics, in our businesses, you know, in, in our families, and even in our immediate surroundings. We are to act as all. We are to be the ones who restore. We are to be the ones who mend and combat the social issues that continue to afflict our society. And when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he doesn't say they will become salt. He says, you are the salt. He states that to them. And this statement underscores a fundamental truth that by virtue of them being under the lordship of Christ, the disciples have undergone a profound transformation in their lives through their encounter with Jesus. They are not the same as they were before. They are changed. They are different now. And this is also true for us. That when we come under the Lordship of Christ and we intentionally choose to follow him, the transformation extends to every area of our lives. Our values, our actions, our thoughts, our relationships are now profoundly influenced by the principles of the kingdom of God. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not to men or women. In essence, our very being and existence are informed by God's kingdom. And as a result, everywhere we go, everywhere we are, God's kingdom should be. You missed a very good point to say amen. (laughs) We are to be bearers of God's kingdom in this world. In every space, in every relationship, our presence, here's something that I don't want you to miss, our presence in this world becomes not just important, but necessary. Your presence in your family, it's not just important, it's necessary in that family. We are God's means of influencing the world for the better. And the metaphor uh, of salt that Jesus uses employs 
it conveys a powerful message. His disciples in and of themselves become indispensable for the well-being of the world. The other unique thing about salt, and it's especially uh, for us modern readers, this was not necessarily even for the past, but the modern readers, it unleashes the flavors uh, already present in the ingredients. Those of us who cook, you have an idea of what I'm talking about. If you don't cook, I'm sorry. <laughs> salt deeply penetrates the food, and it reveals all its natural flavors. Now, I'm a fan of cooking, and I enjoy experimenting various recipes. And whenever I meet, I, I dine out or I meet, uh, I go visiting people, I, I'm always curious to find out what ingredients they've used, uh, uh, you know, how the, the process of, of preparing the meal. But one of the things that I've discovered for me is that no matter how appealing the dish appears, you know, even the way they cross those things uh, on the plate, no matter how fantastic ingredients were, those ingredients that they used, if left on their own without a pinch of salt, they might be bland. It doesn't matter. You know, all the chefs will tell you, salt is a significant thing. has a remarkable ability to enhance and release and bring forth and unveil all the rich flavors, allowing you to savor that delicious steak and, and fish and chicken. Some of you have said, come back, come back into the uh, message. In this message, Jesus calls upon his disciples to embrace their role, to bring out the goodness of the Lord. And so we are not just about stopping the world from decay and degradation. We are also drawing out the good that God created. How can we appreciate? How can we enrich, contribute to the beauty that we find in our midst? Celebrating and enhancing the positives that we see, not just even on our earth, but even the people that you are with, celebrating and drawing out the good that God has already planted in them. In simpler terms, Jesus is telling his disciples that you have been changed by your connection to God's kingdom. Your values, your actions, your thoughts, and your relationships are now based on God's principles. Now you are vital in advancing God's kingdom. You are vital in enhancing but also preserving this world. This is a great metaphor in understanding who we are as we go into the world. Because often it's easier for us as believers to detach ourselves from what is happening in the world. We detach ourselves and we think it's all about our salvation and waiting for the day that Christ will come back and we are all waiting for that. And Jesus uses this metaphor to remind his disciples who they are to be. Very quickly, another, one that, another metaphor that usually goes with this together is that he says you are the light of the world. Amen. Let, me, let, me, let me just jump to that. You see, a typical lamp in those days was a small clay container with wick, and they'll put it like on a stand so that it can illuminate the room. Yeah. Light has an intimate connection with life. This connection is evident from the very beginning of creation as described in Genesis. When God created the world first, what's the first thing that he created? Light, all right? He said, let there be light precedes life illustrating that it's a fundamental element for the existence and the flourishing of the earth. Notably, Jesus is also referred to as the light of the? The scriptures, when you look at John chapter 8, verse 12, it says when Jesus spoke again to his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will do what? Read that last line with me. And, and this title highlights his role in bringing illumination and hope to a world that is often shrouded in darkness. His presence, his teachings and actions are like a beacon of light that guides people towards truth. Light goes beyond just the physical light. 
There's a wonderful radiance, you know. It represents this profound contrast between good and evil, you know, between God and even the evil forces and between believers and non-believers. So when Jesus uses the image of light to describe the characteristics of his disciple into the world, he's calling them to be the embodiment of that divine radiance, that divine hope, reflecting the light of Jesus and sharing it with the rest of the world. And we are to bring that transcendent beauty, hope in this world, ushering in hope. And this is a profound responsibility that you and I have, we've been called to. Now, guys, I must confess that when I look at this city, honestly, there are many times that I give up. And I just want to retreat to my house. When I'm riding in the metro and I'm thinking about that I'm the salt and the light, I'm just like, God, let me just go to my house and mind my own business. When I walk in certain neighborhoods, there is not much encouragement for me to boldly live as a follower of Jesus. I'm I'm just real talk here. Maybe you do, but sometimes I just walk around and I'm just like, man, okay, Jesus, it's time for you to come back. I think it's easier for you to come back than me to live as a follower in this, in this world. And it's difficult. And there are some of us who, you look into your world, and when I talk about your world, it's a sphere of influence. You look in your family, your workplace right now, and you're like, God, it's difficult. Especially when you're on the receiving end of systemic injustice or injustices in your, in your world. It's just difficult. But I'm reminded that through this metaphor that one grain of salt is not enough to make a difference. We need the entire community of believers in order to make a difference. I may not be able to stand by myself, but with others, we can be able to accomplish. If I have a brother and a sister to my side, we can be able to accomplish the work that God has sent us to. I'm reminded that we live in a city where people are engulfed in darkness. And one light is not enough. If you're driving through a tunnel, one light is not enough. But many lights together make a huge difference. And this is the beauty of being part of the church, working together as a community. It amplifies our impact as we join in advancing God's mission here on earth. When you intently read the scriptures, you will discover that much of it is written to a community. Not just to individuals. Sometimes we take this and we claim them for ourselves, but it's written to a community, to a people, addressing a people. So that now we can be able to, it's underscoring the significance of the fact that biblical community is important in addressing the larger issues. District church, imagine a world where instead of us avoiding the difficulties, avoiding the challenges, we actively confronted them. What if we ran towards those who are suffering? Because remember, we are the salt and the light. They need hope. What if we ran towards those who are poor? In, in, the, the poor in, in, in close to us. What if we ran towards the orphans and the widows? And I urge us as a community, we need to run towards Emily in this season. If there's a way we can practice and apply this word, We need to run towards Moriah, Elias, and Judah because they need this community now more than ever. What if we ran towards the widows and the orphans of our cities? What if we ran towards the refugees? 
Because oftentimes we are, we are caught up behind political lines that we miss out that we are the salt and the light. What if we ran towards the unwed pregnant teen mom and coming behind DC-127? What if we ran towards returning citizens? What if we didn't turn away from places where things are falling apart but ran towards them? Because in doing so, our goal will be to bring about reconciliation and restoration because we are Christ representative of his kingdom right here on earth. We are to be his preservatives against the decay that we continue to see in this world. We are to be the light in a dark world. We are bearers of God's kingdom in this world. What if we took a bold and proactive approach to addressing the troubles and the suffering in the world? You see, maybe you're listening to me right now and you've been wondering why God has placed you in that job in the first place. I'm hoping that right now you begin to see inspiration and the Lord is speaking to you very specifically. There's a reason that God has placed you right there. As believers, we need to actively engage with those who are in difficult situations. Whether they are marginalized, vulnerable, or facing adversity, you have a great opportunity to advance God's kingdom in that position. What a privilege we have. And so sometimes I know even I get caught up in God, is this really what you've called me to do? In the frustration of the work and the disappointment of everything that is happening around us. And sometimes we miss out on the bigger picture that God is like, I'm there. I've positioned you there to advance my kingdom. This is what I want to remind you. Our presence in this world is important and necessary. This world needs us every day. We are living proof of the arrival of the kingdom of God. We do not just carry the message. We are the message. Those who are close to you need you. Your sphere of influence, they need you. The people who have access to you, they need you. Situations, whether at work or family, where you know that there's an opportunity for there to be restoration, it needs you. You see, salt works by contact. It has to come into contact. Only when it comes into contact with another is when salt works or it's effective. When it comes into contact with meat or wound is when its effectiveness takes place. When your life comes into contact with those who are close to you, if you are submitted under the Lordship of Christ, Obeying his commands as instructed. It is not that there might be change. There will be change. It might be gradual, but what God is doing through you, he will definitely bring glory to himself in that situation, in that relationship. Think about it, guys. Light shines brightest in the midst of darkness. When we see light against the backdrop of darkness, its power becomes most evident. And it just has this remarkable ability to transform and dispel the darkness. Light isn't just there. It serves as a guiding presence, offering direction, clarity, and an escape for challenging situations. I want to end this message. But I want to say this. Just as salt needs to maintain contact to be effective and light's impact is most pronounced in darkness, 
we as individuals and communities must have an active involvement and a consistent presence in the lives of those who require our support. Your family, your colleagues, your community, they all rely on your presence and engagement as you actively become part of the solution rather than just being a distant bystander. As we remain, as we maintain also our distinct role as salt and light, because we need to be distinctively salt and light, we should also remain closely connected to those that we aim to serve, ensuring that our impact is both meaningful and transformative. I want to end with this. The authenticity of our faith is demonstrated through the way we live our lives. If you've chosen to follow Jesus and fully surrender to him on a daily basis, our very essence has been altered, have been renewed by the influence of the kingdom of heaven. And we are operating on a different set of values, priorities, a different set of goals. So every time you see salt or think about salt, it is my prayer that you will be reminded how your life in Christ should be. Every time you see light, it is my prayer that you'll be reminded what your life should be. Because God has given you something that is so powerful, a relationship with him that transcends everything and anything. So we're going to transition. And one of the ways that we're going to transition to is also through communion. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up Because the, the beauty of even just doing communion in a moment like this is that Jesus Christ turns to his disciples and he says in the upper room that to do this in remembrance of me. He broke the bread. He gave them the cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. That what Christ ultimately did on the cross laid down his life for you and I so that we can be able to spend eternity with him. But before eternity, you are to advance my kingdom right here on earth. And so I want you to do this, reminding yourself of what I did for you, but also reminding yourself of who I am in you. Because we are walking around with so much power and so much hope that the rest of the world needs. May we not just use it for ourselves. May we use it to advance God's kingdom.